Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Morning, church. It's good to see you all today. Good to see the bottom half of your faces for once. This is nice. You guys look good. And uh, I don't know about you. I've been living on a steady diet of corned beef and March Madness the last few days. So I'm feeling great also. Um, Today is the third Sunday of Lent. And we're going to be in Psalm 63 if you want to turn there in your Bible or Bible app. And um, the season of Lent, as you know, is a season where we focus on cultivating a life of prayer. It's a time where you could say, when we learn how to need God, which sounds like kind of a strange thing to say, but the truth is, if I'm honest, I don't think most people need to pray. Because most people aren't living a life that requires God. But if we're going to be people who live like Jesus, then we're going to learn, we're going to have to learn how to need God. And that's what Psalm 63 is about. So we're going to dive right in. Let's start um, with the superscription and verse 1. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. As you go through the book of Psalms, you'll notice that most of them have this little superscription or subtitle before the actual text of the psalm begins. And a lot of the time, we don't pay much attention to that little subtitle. But this is one of the cases where the superscription is really worth noting because the context or the intention behind uh, this psalm um, directly connects to the text of the psalm. And so when it says a psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah, David is out in the desert. And what he sees around him reflects what's happening in him. He's in a desert, and he feels like a desert. So I love the way our very own Pete Santucci renders this in Everyday Psalms. I'm drained dry of you, every part of me parched for you. The desert around me matches the desert inside me. No water in this land, no God in this soul. I love that. And Pete would go on in his commentary to highlight the wisdom of looking around and using the context outside of us as a window into the context inside of us, using one to see the other. Which would raise the question, how can we become people who are paying attention both to the world around us and the world within us? What does it look like to cultivate that kind of God-saturated awareness within ourselves? Well, you notice the language of verse 1 is the language of desire. David is tending to his own heart in prayer 
He's earnestly seeking God. He's thirsty for God. His whole being longs for God. This is the language of desire. Psalm 63, I think you could summarize as the prayer of someone who's paying attention to their desires. This is the prayer of someone who's paying attention to their desires. As he's sitting out in this wilderness, he becomes aware of not just the thirst and the longings of his body, but the thirst and the longings of his soul. He doesn't say in a dry and weary land, I thirst for water. He says in a dry and weary land, I thirst for you, God. And this is an important thing for us to take note of. The role that desire plays when it comes to cultivating our lives in prayer. We'll talk about desire for a moment. Have you ever noticed that your strongest desires aren't always your deepest desires? Our strongest desires, like meaning the desires that I feel most urgently and intensely, I've found don't always line up with my deepest, truest desires. So all of us have layers of desire, meaning on the outside we have things that we want, but if you dig deep down within our hearts, there's the things that we really want. And the temptation is to spend our lives chasing after the things that we want, but ignoring the things that we really want. And to make it even more complicated, not only are our desires layered, but our desires are often conflicted. We are all creatures of conflicted desire. There are things that we want that are completely incompatible with one another. For example, I want, I want to be fit and healthy. I also want to eat whatever I want and never work out. I genuinely want both of those things. <laughs> Some of us want to share life in deep community marked by authentic relationships, and we want complete autonomy. We want to be generous and sacrificial with our money, and we'd also like a nicer truck. It goes on and on. If you pay attention, there are desires that we genuinely have that are at odds with one another. So our deepest desires aren't always our strongest desires. Or what we want doesn't always reflect what we really want. So our strongest desires tend to be things like comfort, security, pleasure, control. Those urgent intense feelings, that there's something that I'm missing that I need to capture. Those are often our strongest desires, but I don't think they're our deepest. And what we see in Psalm 63 is David paying attention to his desires, praying with an awareness not just of his strong desires, but tapping in to the reality of his deepest desires. On the surface, what he wants is water, but what he really wants is God. And so 
how does David cultivate an awareness of his deepest desires? Well, part of it is that we see him reminding himself of the ways in which God has fulfilled those deep desires in the past. In verse 2, he says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And so part of what this looks like for David, cultivating an awareness of his own desires before God in prayer, has to do with looking backward. It has to do with reflecting on the times and places in which God has shown up and fulfilled the deepest longings of his soul in a way that no one or nothing else ever could. David makes the intentional decision to remember those times and those places where he has seen God, he's beheld the glory and power of God. And no matter else, what else was going on in his life, his heart is fulfilled with the presence of God. It's this act of remembering is something that we can choose to do. Memories come sometimes involuntarily, but there's also a biblical mandate all throughout the scripture that would basically instruct God's people, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember the ways God has met you, the way he's been faithful to you, the ways he's shown up in your life. And in that sense, David models for us not just paying attention to our desires, but also paying attention to the fulfillment of those desires. He goes on in verse 6 to say, On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through watches of the night. And so part of how David kindles this awareness of his deepest desires is by thinking back to the places where God has shown up in the past, but this sounds incredibly reductionistic. How does, God, how does David cultivate an awareness of his deepest desires? He thinks about God. He thinks about God. On his bed, at night, when he doesn't have to think about anything else, he chooses to think about God. And so tending to the deepest desires of our soul requires a stewarding of our attention. In the space where I tend to spend a lot of my time online these days, I'm reading lots of people who are paying attention to what's called the attention economy. The attention economy. And it's the idea that our attention has become a form of currency in the world we find ourselves in. And we even use the phrase paying attention. We're acknowledging that we have attention to give a limited amount and we have to choose where we're going to pay that, spend that, invest that. A friend of mine puts it this way. Attention is one of our most valuable resources and everyone wants a piece of it. 
politicians and advertisers, influencers and friends, whatever that means now that we tend to friend people more than actually befriend them. We know that advertisers are paying for our attention and that social media networks are getting savvier at capturing it for profit. If you don't know this, watch, watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Many of us are mindlessly addicted to the internet more than ever before, thanks to the way the pandemic abruptly collapsed our worlds into the glowing rectangles of our handheld devices. Michael Goldhaber, who's a theoretical physicist, says this, in an attention economy, attention economy, one is never not on, at least when one is awake, since one is nearly always paying, getting, or seeking attention. As we have entered the season of Lent as a season of cultivating a life of prayer, of learning how to live deeply with an awareness of God's presence, with an attentiveness to God's voice. I don't know about you, but I would argue that this thing is one of my greatest obstacles. That's my dog, I'm not talking about dog, that just comes on when I hold the screen up. She's not helpful either, <laughs> terrible dog. <clears throat> These little black mirrors that we carry around in our pocket. There's always been competition for our attention. But I think we especially ought to pay attention to the way these devices and our connectivity is so quick and eager to take all the attention we're willing to give it. I want to show you a quick video to illustrate this. This was an experiment done originally about 30 years ago by researchers at the University of Iowa. And uh, this is a quick, uh, recent remake of it. If you've seen it before, pretend you haven't. And uh, I want to show you what I'm talking about. Go ahead. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. All right. How many? How many passes did you see? Tell me. 15? Anybody see anything different? 14? 6? Okay. What's, what's the answer? The correct answer is 15 passes. Very good. But did you notice the gorilla? <laughs> there was a gorilla. There was a gorilla. Be honest, how many of you did not see the gorilla? That's amazing. Uh, what they found in the experiment is about 50% of viewers did not see the gorilla the first time. And it was right there. Not just like walking through, but he stops and pounds his chest. 
and you didn't even notice. <clears throat> what an interesting experiment. If we live as participants in an attention economy, then we have to become the kind of people that budget our attention well, that steward our attention well, because we can't give it to everything that wants it. And when we choose to invest it in counting the passes of a basketball, it's easy to miss the thing that's right in front of us. So the secret of learning how to need God, the secret of desiring God, is paying the kind of attention to God that David does here. Even as he's out in the desert, instead of worrying his nights away, anxiously counting the hours of the watch, he thinks about God. He gives his attention to God, and because he pays attention to God, he's filled with an awareness of his deep desires that can only be met by God. I uh, found out about this little experiment through the writing of Andrew Root and listened to the title of this book, The Pastor in a Secular Age, Ministry to People Who No Longer Need God. And here's what he says. God is in the background, and our day-to-day, moment-to-moment attention is on material things. Most people are unwilling to stop paying attention to what society deems most important. They can't, as it were, stop counting the number of basketball passes or focusing on their bank accounts, Twitter followers, product promotions, or consumer purchases to attend to something different. The problem is not that God is not visible, but that, to pursue the analogy, God is the gorilla to whose appearance we have been blinded. There is, however, a way to avoid this observation blindness, a way even to encounter the event of God speaking. This is the way of prayer. So I'm increasingly convinced that the most important thing in my life, in your life, in each of us individually, and in us, and in us as a congregation, is to make sure that we see the gorilla. Which is to say, to make sure that we aren't blind to the presence of God. And this is the way of prayer. Attentive, quiet, faithful prayer. Like, if we really believe that God has revealed himself to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if we believe that God has sent his spirit to dwell within us until the end of the age, then we need to be intentionally cultivating eyes to see God among us and around us and ears to hear how this amazing God is moving and acting in our lives and in the world. And this, again, is the way of prayer. And I would argue that 
For as much as oftentimes life feels for us like we're in a desert and that our thirsty soul is longing for a God who for whatever reason feels so distant and far away and unknown and unknowable. That if we actually look at the testimony of the scriptures and the revelation of Jesus Christ, God's the gorilla jumping up and down, pounding his chest. inviting us to look to him for the, desire, for the fulfillment of the deepest desires of our soul. And so prayer is the practice of focusing our attention on God. Becoming aware, not just of the strongest desires, but of the deepest desires. So let's ask this question in closing. What are our deepest desires? What is the thing that we really want? Here's what I'm convinced of and what I believe the Bible teaches to be true. That as Christians, our deepest desire is for Jesus. What we really want is Jesus. We want to know him. We want to be with him. We want to love him. We want to become like him. Now, I acknowledge these aren't always our strongest desires. Again, our strongest desires are for comfort and pleasure, for control, for escape. But if you are a Christian... This is your deepest desire, whether you know it or not. Here's how it works. When we receive Christ by grace through faith, we know that our sins are forgiven and we get a clean slate before God. We call that justification. But there's other things that are happening in that moment. We also, in our moment of conversion, whenever and however that occurs, we also know that we are given a new heart. The biblical idea for this is regeneration, or simply put, we are born again. A new heart that has a new set of desires, and that new set of desires has to do with Jesus and his kingdom. And this isn't something that we talk about very often when we talk about the results of the, of the gospel penetrating our hearts and us becoming saved. But the reality is what the Bible has, teaches and what Christians have always believed is that when we are converted to Christ, when we are born again, not only are our sins forgiven and we're justified, but we're also given a new heart and we are regenerated. He does this by imparting his Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived and indwelt and powered Jesus for life and ministry, now comes upon us. And so the result is that for every single Christian, we may look the same on the outside, but on the inside, we've been born again, given a new heart and a new set of desires. We're possessed 
by the Spirit of God so that what we really want, deep down, the thing we want more than anything, is Jesus. To be with him, to love him, to become like him. So, even though we're creatures of conflicted desire, and we're going to have to battle that out on a day-to-day basis, deep down, the truest thing about your heart and about your desires, the thing that you really want is Christ himself. And so the journey of Lent, the journey of life, is learning, like David, to pay attention to the deepest desires of our hearts. Learning how to need God. Learning how to steward our attention towards God in a God-saturated world. And if we are faithful in that, even in the smallest ways, of practicing God's presence through prayer, we'll find that the thing our hearts want most, Jesus himself, is the gorilla that we can never miss. Sean's going to come and lead us to the table, which is one of the ways we practice focusing our attention on the deepest desire of our hearts and receiving Christ together.